the one-year anniversary of listening to Kyle and Arjun break down Arsenal. And what better way than discussing an Arsenal victory, three Premier League firings, United having nobody at the wheel, and U.S. versus Mexico, all right here on episode 53 of the Going Going Gooner podcast. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to, to the, the Going Going Gooner podcast. We ain't apologizing for nothing today. The, the plain and simple truth is that we suck. So clearly, Alvin listened to the episodes. No, he did. I have no doubt. What makes you think more instability is what this club needs right now? Most likely will make one of the best Netflix documentaries since Firefest. The Going Going Gooner podcast is brought to you by your party station, Z89. Welcome back to the one-year anniversary of the Going Going Gooner podcast. You can find us on Twitter at ggoonerpod. You also can find us through our parents, Z89 Radio. Shout out to them. We love them dearly for putting up with us for one year. Arjun, it has been the one-year anniversary today. The episode drops one-year anniversary. Our special is going to come out at some point in the next month or two. We have delayed on that one. But Arjun, one year of podcasting. Wow. I know. It doesn't feel like it, honestly, because, you know, we, we've done so many episodes over Zoom due to COVID and, you know, the entire summer last year. Obviously, we don't live in the same place. So... Um, it doesn't feel like a year, but um, you know, time flies by when when you're having fun and and talking, talking Arsenal and and Saints every week is you know what I love to do and what we love to do. So yeah, it's what we love. It's it's also fun. Thank you to you listeners for being amazing for giving us the support of listening to our episodes, listening to us ramble, and listening to uh, he- listening and hearing Arjun shout violently. About uh, Smith Rowe, me shout and cry violently about the Saints and everything in between. Uh, it has been a long list of ranting, a long list of heartbreak, agony. I mean, we started off the podcast with a, a rough arsenal spell of us just being absolutely garbage, and it turned into something amazing two weeks later. And so. I mean, it's the story of Arsenal. I mean, when we started out doing the podcast, we were on a downturn. And then after Christmas, you know, the, the match against Chelsea, the episode after that, I'll, I'll never forget, you know, us recording just our, our just like raw Jubilation. ecstasy Jubilation. Of, uh, of that victory. And then the good run of form after that. And then the, the down start to this year. And now Arsenal are 10 games undefeated in all competitions after a 1-0 win against Watford this weekend. Um, so I'll break that, that that down really quick. I mean, Arsenal um, hosted Watford. Um, Emil Smith-Rowe got the lone goal in the 56th minute, and uh, Watford had a man sent off, Kutska, in the 89th. Um, so I'll get to the officiating later, but I think the... <laughs> officiating? The, us discussing officiating problems? Never. But, uh, I mean, it didn't really matter because we ended up winning. We got a VAR call uh, in our favor. Um, First time in a billion years. But... Uh, you know, the, the highlight is Emil Smith Rowe because he d- really didn't play all that well compared to how he has been in, in the last few uh, matches. But but he still wound up with a goal, right place, right time, put it in the back of the net, right where he needed to be. Um, and, and his run of form continues. He's continuing to impress. And um, I mean, we were going to get to this later, but I mean, his performances have earned him an England call up. Yeah, he's, they he's have. got his first call up. For England, albeit he wasn't in the original 23, there were some injuries 
Um, he he that, wasn't in the original twenty three, but he should have been. He, yes, he should have been, and you know it, his his form is just proving it. Um, he's been getting so much praise from from club legends, from league legends, um, pundits, just uh, just for Everybody. the way he plays. I mean, we've said it that he thrives on the left side. I, I think he can play really well as a central midfielder as well as an attacking midfielder, but he slots in so well on the left. He looks a natural winger because he is so quick on the football. He, When he has the ball, he's one of the quickest runners I've seen uh, us have. You know, you, guys like Aubameyang and Pepe are quick, but Pepe is a guy that you see is really slow on the ball. And Aubameyang is a guy that makes really quick, um, you know, uh, in-behind runs, but we don't really see him on the ball all that much. Martinelli is a guy as well who who can make those in-behind runs and be quick on the ball, but Smithrow is able to do it all. And um, he, he keeps he keeps putting in good performances. The link-up between Sokka and Smithrow is, is continuing. This club is in a really good spot going into the international break. Now we'll get to a little bit of the negatives, I guess. Yeah, um, <laughs> I guess you could say that. And uh, if the, I can, uh, go ahead. If I can start with the first negative, which is obviously it shouldn't have been one nil; it should have been two nil. Uh, starting off with uh, very early in the match, Pierre Mugabamiang from the penalty spot with a, we got a VAR check, we got a penalty given. Uh, should it have been a penalty? I mean, well, okay, so we'll talk yeah. through it. So uh, Arsenal in in the first half had had two fouls and two yeah. yellow cards. Watford in the first half had twelve fouls and two yellow cards. It made so, no sense. And and Danny Rose was the one who gave up the penalty. It was a clear penalty. I have no idea what he was yeah. thinking. I, the ball was, was the ball was up in the air and he just clattered into the Lacazette. Clear penalty, yeah. but he wasn't booked for it. No, and, he and, wasn't. And he which had, is wild. And he had two uh, challenges before then that. Uh, you know, the third challenge on Lacazette to get a penalty, it's just baffling he wasn't booked for it. Um, but, you know, that officiating is all behind us. Uh, Kyle, it should have been 4-0. Yeah. Because Aubameyang missed the penalty that resulted from that. Great save by Ben Foster. And we had two goals uh, disallowed for offside. Both Aubameyang's fault. Yeah. And and so it, it was a day to forget for Aubameyang. Um, obviously, his work rate has improved, which which will credit him for that. Obviously, he's, obviously, he's getting into the matches more, which yes. is better and positive. So, so, so each of the situations we'll talk through. Aubameyang on the first one had an open net, couldn't control it and get a shot off. Eventually, it, it sort of trickled over to Saka, who was offside because he was behind the goalkeeper, um, and the goalkeeper is the last line of defense. So that is the line for offside. Saka was behind the goalkeeper, put it in the back of the net. He was off. If Aubameyang just controls it and finishes himself, the offside doesn't become a factor. Uh, the second one, obviously, the penalty miss. Um, Lacazette has never missed a penalty as, as an Arsenal nope. player. Don't know why he's not taking that. And Ainsley Maitland-Niles was on the pitch. He's a remarkable penalty taker. We, we've seen him. He's got that nonchalant run-up, really calm and composed at the spot. If either of those two players are on the pitch, I don't think Aubameyang should be taking penalties. I get he's the captain, but his recent record hasn't been very good. He had a penalty saved by Martinez last time out as well. So that's two straight penalties on the trot he's missed. And and the third one I think is, uh, it's a tough one because uh, this is something every yeah. striker will do. It was Odegaard who had the ball on his left foot, made a really nice run um, into the area, got a shot away. It looked like it was trickling in at the far post. Aubameyang in an offside position, lunges for it, taps it into the net. It was probably already going in, but if you're a striker, you're going to want to make sure. 
and uh, it ended up being offside, and that would have made it 2-0 in the game that was after Smith-Rowe had scored. So, you know, without three Aubameyang, maybe mental lapses, errors, it should have been 4-0. But it again, should, yeah. again, Aubameyang, his work rate has increased. He looks really comfortable alongside Lacazette in the 4-4-2. They're playing really well together in that formation. Um, But... Uh, Arsenal just continue to impress. Really happy with how we played against Watford as well. Uh, they grew into the game a little bit after we scored the first goal, which is, you know, what ends up happening under Arteta. It's just, uh, unless it's a first half barrage, which we've seen, we've started off really, re- we started off matches really well recently. Um, but once we score that first goal in the second half, the, the quality dips just a little. Obviously, players get tired. The depth isn't really there. Partey and Jaka both missed out this one. Um, so, yeah, g- good performance. Uh, happy with how it went. Yeah, I mean, to start off with, as you said, P- Alba shouldn't be on pens, especially after the two in a row he's missed. Yes, he scored the one against Martinez after it was saved. And the Foster one, he put down the middle. It wasn't even like he put it to his side. It was basically down the middle, which, you know, is the place you're told not to put that ball. Unless your keeper is die- as dove 10 minutes ago and it's still on the ground, you don't put it down the middle. And, and what, he, what he was trying to do was was smash it down the middle. And and when you do that, you need some height on it. He didn't get I height. Need height or you need to place it just far enough to the other side of the keeper where he won't save yeah. it. And he put it directly in toward the line where a foster hand or foot was going to save regardless of what side he dove. Mm-hmm. And it just wasn't placed well at all. Yeah. So you take him off. Put, as you said, Laka on. I would happily have Laka as our penalty taker right now. I'd even love Bukayo instead of him. Uh, but that's a whatever topic we won't discuss right now. Um but as you said as well, Alba getting in the matches more is the best thing. The fact that he actually looks good is good. Because, yep. you know, early in the season, he was doing equivalent to nothing. Um, and if not nothing, he was doing poor things, awful things. It wasn't good. So him actually playing well is a positive. That at some point the goals will come. It has. We have to just wait for it. It'll come at some point. Maybe next match against Liverpool, you'll have to see. Um, but on top of that, as you said, Rose should have been off. I don't know, or at least yellowed. I don't know why he wasn't. Um, but that's a refereeing decision that, you know, we, we love our referees, uh, here on the going Gleaner podcast. We are huge referee fans. We are big ref fans. We love them. Uh, and, and every before, which way. yeah, before we pivot into general Premier League discussion, two performances I want to highlight Nuno Tavares. Yeah. I mean, uh, defensively, he's not as strong as Kieran Tierney, but going forward, he just he he's so he, so quick. He has not put a bad shift in, or even an average shift. It has been only positives. It he is playing very clearly the same style that Tierney did when he first arrived. That it's everything is positive, and again, he's playing this well. And Tierney's our starter. That's the crazy thing. That Tierney is the number one for us, and he's the number two. But he's playing as if he's a he's a good enough number one. If we have the two of them playing this well, I would be happy with either of them starting, in all honesty. And, I mean, Tavares, we saw he has a similar work rate to Tierney as well. He was sprinting up and down that left wing just how Tierney does. Didn't look to be getting tired. Was putting all of his his effort in even as the 90th minute ticked on. So he's he's playing really impressively. I still would put Tierney back in when when he's fit. But it's not a bad thing to have him yes, playing this well as a Absolutely. Backup. And and Tierney was uh, Tierney was on the bench for this match. Um he didn't end up coming on, which is, you know, just fine. But that's a good thing cuz again now if Tierney gets hurt or has a possible knock, you say, let's just rest him. 
let's just give him a break. You tell him, like, hey, we want you to rest and be fully healthy to play. We don't want to aggravate any injury. We'll put Nuno in to start for now. You rest. Nuno will play. Benefits the two of them because Nuno clearly came here knowing he's the backup. He came here knowing he's the backup and he's here to learn. And if in a year or two he plays this well constantly, we probably get a huge price tag for him because he's a valuable left back. I mean, that's what we're looking at here is that we bought him for under 10 million euros. And if in a year and a half we sell him outright to somebody for somewhere in the 20s, 30s, I would take that as a big victory. Huge victory even. And yeah, Tavares has been performing really well in in Tierney's absence. And another performance I want to highlight: Ainsley Maitland-Niles. I mean, he well done. He well, he, he slotted in um, for Partey. Usually, it'd be Lakonga and Partey. Same be Lakonga and Partey playing together in that midfield. Uh, Partey injured. I don't think he's he's going on in the international he break with not. Ghana. Um, so we hope he rests up and gets well soon because we need him in that midfield. But Ainsley Maitland-Niles played really well in uh, in support. Um, you know, the, we we talked about him sort of as the transfer window was ending. He said he was like he had sort of an outburst, quote unquote, outburst. He wanted for, to leave. That's the, that's he, what he was. Yeah, he wanted, he, to, leave. he he wanted, wanted to, to leave. But his attitude since then has been fantastic. He's he's played really well. Getting, uh, I think, his first Premier League start of the year. He played in, in the Carabao Cup against Leeds. But um, he looked really calm in there, was was hounding the Watford midfield. Arsenal obviously won the midfield battle um, because Lakonga and Maitland-Niles were playing really well. Um, besides, you know, the, the performances of Tavares and Maitland-Niles, I wanted to highlight outside of the requisite, you know, Ramsdale clean sheet, Saka and Smith-Rowe, Lacazette, Aubameyang. I feel like Tavares and Maitland-Niles in positions they're usually not in, um, you know, starting in the Premier League, um, they've done a really good job to to hold down the fort and keep our depth. Yes, and I also want to add in the midfield discussion, Jaka, who has been out hurt, is back in training apparently after what two months out of what seemed like a four or five month injury. He's already back in training, which is wild that he should not be back yet, but he's already back training, going well, going strong so far. I don't want to rush him back because we don't need to rush him back because everyone's playing well without him. That Lokonga's playing well. Maitland Niles put a good shift in, as you said. Uh, if Partey's back healthy after the break, he can play as well. That everyone's playing well and is healthy, so we don't have to rush Xhaka back yet. And it now means we can rotate, which is a thing we have not been able to say for a while. So now we can rotate the midfield and the left-back position, Arjun, which are positions we, you know, naturally have not been able to rotate well. But now we can do it, and it's positive. Um, and I'm, I'm all here for it. Um, but speaking of a team that can rotate... And can play basically anybody on any given day. Man City. Uh, They, this past weekend, played United in the Manchester Derby. And I don't know how else to put it other than there it wasn't really a contest, I think is... Is Hank is that how you put that, Arjun? Yeah, and City City only won 2-0. Only 2-0. But it was only because they really... they, They were toying with Manchester United... Uh, I saw a great graphic today. Um, this is at A M O N I Z. I don't know how to pronounce the last name. Aaron Moniz, at A Moniz Football. Um, he he's using past networks to look at the intentions and executions of both teams in the Manchester Derby. If you look at Manchester United's passing network, it just looks completely disorganized. I don't think disorganized um, is the right word. They played a two eight. Formation. There was two back, two defenders, and eight midfielders. There was absolutely no structure, and um, 
I mean, I tweeted this out. I mean, with Ole, it's no tactics, just vibes. I mean, they they, <laughs> they really no tactics, just vibes. And, and if you look shirt. at if you look at City's tactics, obviously Pep, one of the best tacticians the sport has ever seen, extremely organized. Um, the ball retention is is imp- ex- extremely impressive. Um, I mean, City are just the better team. And United could be much better than this. Obviously, we've talked about the business day that the summer wasn't very good. And now Ole is a, is very much a liability. But it seems like everybody thinks that except for the United board. But the problem is, is as we discussed last week after the Conte hiring at Spurs, is who can they hire now? There's nobody they can hire because Zidane is going well at Madrid. He's not going to leave. Poch and PSG are fine. He's not going to leave. Um... Den Hag or a Hog isn't gonna leave Ajax. He's just not. And that's basically it in terms of managerial options, because Conte's gone. There is nobody they can hire right now that would fit. It's just it's non-existent. So if you're them, you think our only chance is then to just stay with Ole and trust the trust him, but you can't trust him because he looks like hot garbage. I wouldn't even say hot garbage, cold garbage. He's awful. And, I mean, w- with that result in the Manchester Derby, obviously, I don't know if anyone was really expecting United to win that match, but I don't know if, you know, the embarrassment of losing to Liverpool by that much. And by, then, by what? 5-0, I believe? Uh, f- yeah. And <laughs> then, Casual drumming. And then and then for, for United to lose, you know, two, to their two biggest rivals in that fashion, and now they've dropped down to sixth, um, have more losses on the season than Arsenal do. Arsenal are now fifth. Um, it's it's a club that are currently in disarray, and uh, we we said that about Arsenal after the first couple games of the season. But this is a this is a consistent pattern that we're seeing from United. They were able to pick up a win against Spurs, a club who are also not really doing all that well right now. But uh, it it could it could, it could be turn around with Conte. They could turn that around now. They have the opportunity to turn it around. Ole, there is no opportunity to turn and, around because you're playing with the same players. Week in, week out. I mean, the, 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 to summarize it, Donny van de Beek, you signed for, what, 45, 50 million? And he has played approximately, what, one match for you? I mean, he's done nothing. You hire, you bought him to play in the midfield, and you're playing McFred. And, you know, on top of that, you have a 100 million Frenchman who is one of the best fielders in the world who isn't playing because he's a petulant child. Well, I mean, Pogba is is out for months now. He, yeah. He's injured. He he's going to be out for Even months. Even worse. Even worse. And, I mean, I don't know where United go from here because it, it's a discussion that you know United fans have been having that that you know Ole out is really only the, the only course of action for them. But again, the board it, it isn't really having talks about that. They're not. Nothing. Plus, I mean, the the final decision rests with Glazer. Um, but there hasn't really been any news on that reported by Fabrizio Romano. I mean, we'll have to see how United come out of the international break. They, they've still got injuries to deal with. Uh, I think Rashford dropped out of uh, of the uh, England um, yeah, call-up because of, of fitness. So he, he should be back fresh uh, for United. But I, it is tough to see where they go from here. I mean, with a club like Spurs, who we'll touch on right now, I mean, they, they've got a new manager. Uh, they were able to move on from Nuno, who was really only in charge for a few months. Four. <laughs> but, but, they, but they made that decision. They made that conscious decision knowing that Conte was there. They wanted Conte this summer. 
um, fired Nuno and brought him in. That's something that United didn't do. And now Spurs can turn things around. They've got a talented squad. Tottenham sitting down in ninth in six uh, on 16 points. Um, drew Everton this week. But the tactics didn't look all that different from what we see against Nuno again um, with Nuno against a team like Everton you know Tottenham were Tottenham were sitting back in, in the low block doing what they were doing under Mourinho and now under but and I then think, under I Nuno. think for now that's fine because it yeah. was one match for the international break you say let's just do what we have for now over the break we will draft up what yep. we're going to be doing Conte definitely has a plan yeah he's apparently already started outlawing certain things like he did at Chelsea which worked for him there I'm assuming it's going to be a similar like Give me a minute. Let's get this one game out of the way, and then we will like deep dive into fixing this. And and Conte is a great tactician. I mean, we we've seen it with all the clubs he's been at. Um, obviously, as Arsenal fans, it's not that we hope he fails. It's that you know, if he does, you know, it's not really wouldn't, a, wouldn't be a bad thing for us. So, uh, with Tottenham, you know, nil nil draw. Obviously, Mason Holgate got sent off in the late stages of the match. Um. But w- again, that's something we have to uh, evaluate uh, at the uh, at the end of the international break, going into the next one. Yeah, and then you look at other matches that mattered. Chelsea drew one one to Burnley. Uh, Havertz scored for Chelsea, and then Matty Vidra scored for Burnley. The the big man up top. We love that. Love to see that. RJ. And and I mean, fantastic performance from Nick Pope as well. Oh in yeah. Goal. He's he, he's a premier <laughs> he's a premier shot stopper. He is uh, a guy that has been in contention for the England number one job for a while. Obviously, guys like Pickford and now Aaron Ramsdale. Way um, you mean you mean the uh, October Arsenal Player of the Month? Yes, correct. Um, but Pope, a great performance. Um, but Chelsea got a little bit bailed out. You know they they, they, they dropped a point. Um, they dropped two points. Pardon me in that match against Burnley, but Liverpool dropped all three. Invincibles Day came came early this year, Kyle. Feels great. Feels great. Um, so Liverpool lost to West Ham, who are now third in the table. Who West are Ham. for real? <laughs> and I mean, the the tactics that West Ham employed were were perfect. I mean, they they did what Liverpool do to teams: the the quick counter attacks, um, using set pieces to their advantage. Um, uh, Allison scored an own goal in the fourth minute. There was a little bit of controversy because it, Ogbonna, it, but Ogbonna it shouldn't jumped have been controversy. Up, uh, That's yeah, the thing. I totally agree. <laughs> Ogbonna jumped up in front of Allison. Allison sort of punched it into his own net, deflected off of his hand. But um, you heard Graham Lasso on the uh, on the um, broadcast saying that Ogbonna is getting in Allison's way. What else is Ogbonna supposed to do? He's, he's jumping for he's the allowed, ball. He's allowed to be where he he's allowed to occupy space. That like, it doesn't matter. And the the reason Liverpool fans are angry because like oh well he he, he uh, messed with him no 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 he jumped to head the ball in straight up from where he was Allison ran and jumped over to where Ogbono was Ogbono didn't do anything out out of like wrong it was Allison was in the wrong of anything which isn't which is nothing he didn't do anything wrong and it was headed in and, and it hit off Allison and it was in and then Ogbono sadly is now bleed out with an ACL injury which is tough to hear he's out for a couple of months. Uh, always love watching him play the big Italian uh, at the back, but then Fornals scored a goal, and um, and Fornals that Fornals goal is exactly what Liverpool do to teams the the quick counter attack and Mikhail Antonio is the perfect guy to have up there for that. So good. Fornals uh, made it two one. Alexander Arnold scored a goal to equalize a From beautiful a free set kick. piece. Uh, he tapped it to Salah. Salah then held like just held it and then. Uh, 
Alexander-Arnold curled it in from basically a free kick. Again. Yeah, Same I mean, Alexander-Arnold is one of the best set-piece takers in the Premier League. And, and in he the world it. in general right now. I mean, he's he's electric from set-pieces. Yeah, West Ham tacked on a third with Kurt Zuma, you know, um, off Big a Frenchy. header. And then Divock Origi um, got a late challenge uh, to, to grab a point um, to make it 3-2. Uh, nice goal. I mean, he he flicked it up to himself, turned and and put in a volley into the corner. Not not an easy technique to pull off, but West Ham at home in the London Stadium pulled it off. I mean, um, they did exactly what they needed to do. I mean, Liverpool had seventy percent possession. West Ham had three shots on target and three goals. Technically, um, the Allison goal doesn't count as a shot on target, but uh, I mean, West Ham. Are for real. They they have uh, they have the same exact record as Manchester City: seven wins, two draws, two losses, um, down six on goal differential. But they are a very solid side, and and, oh, and they'll they they'll continue to be um, into the rest of the season. They they've got so many pieces all over the pitch. Mikhail Antonio is a born goal scorer. Declan Rice has been receiving a lot of praise this week. Um, so West Ham, again, uh, a team to watch. So Chelsea, very happy to see Liverpool lose, as are we. It was Liverpool's first loss of the season, uh, 11 games in, uh, and that is the last team in the Premier League to remain undefeated, meaning that the Invincibles record stands for another year. Um, but the, the, that's the action in the top six. But uh, outside in the midfield and uh, towards the bottom, there has been a lot of action Yes. Uh, managerially, Kyle. So to start off with, the first manager fired, the Premier League season goes to the 20th place side, Norwich City. Daniel Farka, uh, after the match was fired by Norwich, it apparently comes out that he was told ahead of the match that no matter what happened, he was sacked and he had his last match to play with the squad as kind of a last like memory. They ended up winning, muted celebrations. The players clearly knew he was go- he was gone. He was fired after the match, Daniel Farka. Uh, then you move on to the next firing, which was Dean Smith at Aston Villa, uh, a, play, a person we thought was kind of safe, in all honesty. Yeah, and and Villa were, were a team that I said would would be really strong after after losing Jack Grealish. They're in 16th. They've lost five in a row. Um, so after the match against Southampton, the 1-0 loss, the decision was made to sack Dean Smith. And in the last couple days, today I think it was finalized. Steven Gerrard is going yeah, to be the new manager, the, the new manager of Aston Villa. You know, managing the Birmingham side uh, from Rangers, where he did a stellar job uh, in the Scottish Premiership. But now, Steven Gerrard back in the Premier League, not managing Liverpool, is going to be really, really interesting. I mean, I, I love the move for Stevie G. I love the move for Villa because it's showing ambition because. For for you know a, a legend like Lampard to go and manage Chelsea in his first real Premier League um, managerial was job, that was a lot. Arteta managing Arsenal, a club he had already played for, for his first real managerial spot. Um, for Gerrard to go to Villa first before maybe being a stepping stone to Liverpool if Klopp decides to resign, um, I think it's a really great career move. And even if Gerrard never goes to Liverpool and just becomes an established manager. It's a good Villa, place to be. At Villa or elsewhere in the Premier League. I mean, it, it, it it's a good move for everyone involved. Um, 
Villa are a team that I think have a lot of potential. Obviously, they haven't been able to fulfill it. But they have great players. They're young players, a good core. They they are willing to spend if needed for certain guys. I mean, they bought Buendia in the window. They have a good squad, good enough team that he can help mold and shape it. This is not a squad where it's the Burnleys of old, where it's 40 different 35-year-old dudes who just want to like smash your, smash your face in. This is a team that is good, strong, young, and he can help shape and mold and bring back up from the depths of the Prem. Uh, and this is us on to the last managerial change uh, of the past week or so. Obviously at Newcastle, uh, Eddie Howe is now in at Newcastle. The former Bournemouth manager is now at Newcastle, and both Arjun and I fully support that as a good hire. I love it. Uh, I think Eddie Howe is a guy who had who had immense potential when he brought up Bournemouth to the Premier League and kept them in for for five or six years. And with Kyle. a with a squad of generally not great players. And it was a squad of championship players and and Bournemouth a very small team. I mean, I think it's one of the smallest stadiums in Premier League history. Vitality. Yeah. Uh, you know, loyal fan base, but I mean, they they didn't really bring in a marquee signing. Ever, I mean, they they had talented players. Callum um, Wilson, Junior Stanislas, uh, Matt Ritchie as well. I mean, those guys were were good players. But honestly, for for Eddie Howe to keep Bournemouth up for that long, I was sad to see them go down. But uh, he was sacked a- as manager of Bournemouth, and now he will be managing Newcastle, the richest club in the world, <laughs> the only winless team left in the Premier League. But he is the guy that they have brought in as the Saudi takeover uh, takes hold. And now they're going to have money galore to spend with Eddie Howe as the manager, a guy who was tapped to take over for a top six, uh, to take over a top six side. It never came to fruition. I know he was in, he Arsenal was, he, he was rumored to go to Arsenal after the, after the Wenger firing and after the Emery firing that never came to fruition. But now he's managing a club with a lot of money, a lot of resources, uh, no matter what we think about how that has all gone down. But I think he's the right guy. I think bringing in a guy with a huge name like a Conte or a Mourinho or whatever, I don't think it would have worked. I think Eddie no. Howe yeah. um, can, I, can form a connection to his guys, and he is a great manager, a great tactician, a guy I've admired for a long time ever since he's ever since he brought up Bournemouth into the Premier League. So he also comes into a side that like isn't horribly off. Yeah, like obviously they were sitting in nineteenth, as if they're still winless. But they've got a side of strong enough players. He gets back Callum Wilson, the player who he you know made a name for with uh, him uh, him and Wilson at Bournemouth. He's got one of the most electrifying players in the Prem in Alan Saint-Maximin. Uh, alongside, you got got guys like Ryan Fraser, Jeff Hendrick, Matt Ritchie's there as well. Bournemouth guys are there in numbers. At the back, you've got Jamal Lascelles, Fabian Scher, uh, Jamal Lewis, obviously Dubravka and Carl Darlow in net. He's got a decent team across the board. Joe Willick, our king, is there uh, alongside Jolinton and Miguel Amiron. Uh, a good side to manage. This feels like an Eddie Howe level team that obviously will get better and improve with the amount of money that will be flowing in. But it's a good spot to be. As you said, it is not too high of a start. Same with Gerard, that they're put into spots where they can both thrive and succeed rather than being thrown into the Wolves with the Tottenham's, the Arsenal's, the United, Chelsea, Cities, Liverpool's. Like, they're put in a good place. They can build a team with 
rather than being thrown in with a great team expected to win now. And and I think Eddie Howe, you know, his task this year is going to be to keep, keep Newcastle from re- relegation. Keep us, keep us up, get us mid-table, you're good. And and that is exactly what he did for years at Bournemouth. That is, he, he escaped them from relegation multiple times. They were always relegation candidates. He did it for five or six years running. That's not really something Gerard has had to deal with. Obviously, Villa, they are five points off relegation right now. We are not even a third of the way through the season. But still, um, Villa are also in that predicament now. They, they've got to get out of this bottom half of the table, try and propel themselves in a more mid-table range. Um, and I think Eddie Howe is more equipped to do that with Newcastle than Gerard is with Villa, but we'll have to see. Yeah. But I, I like both hirings. Um, Norwich, I don't think, have named a successor to Daniel Farca. They have not as of this moment, um, no. But that is going to be, regardless of, of who comes in, that's going to be a tough task because their squad, you know, they got relegated last time they were in the Prem. They came right back up. That's a big Sam They're, type of job. You know, they, they <laughs> You're going to need they, Sam Allardyce for that Norwich one. Norwich has always been a yo-yo club, um, you know, in and out uh, of the Prem. Um, but, you know, I- exciting moves for, for these clubs. Um, and, and I'm excited to see, you know, this is the worst time to have an international break because yeah. there's been so much news. This was a great week in the Premier League, um, you know, matchup-wise, you know, seeing West Ham win, seeing Burnley take points off Chelsea. Arsenal and, win. <laughs> and, and Arsenal win, of course, and then the managerial changes, and now we, we got to see how Conte does after the break with Spurs. So uh, I, maybe it's a good time for a break, um, you know, the bombarding of news, but, you know, yeah. we, we just want to see them. We want to see these guys and how they do. Um, you know, right out of the gate. But first, we have an international break to deal we with. We do have an international break to deal with. And as we said, Smith Rowe, first England call up, he has deserved it. Um, we kind of discussed that a little bit. But in general, I mean, he he deserved it. That's the, the, the clear thing here. He should have been in the squad originally. So Ben White should have been too. Ben White wasn't. He was him and Fakayo Tamori. Both weren't in the original uh, England squad. I don't believe either of them were called up either now with injuries happening. Neither of them were brought in. It is just Smith-Rowe got called in, so he will be there, our man, our lad. Um, but the other thing we want to discuss, international break-wise, Arjun, is uh, a match that we care about greatly, and we're watching uh, with uh, open eyes, which is the USA, U.S. men's national team, facing off against Mexico uh, in, I believe, qualif- World Cup qualifiers, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Friday night... Um, where is the match being played, by the way? If uh, can... In Cincinnati, TQL it Stadium. It's in Cincinnati, U.S., Mexico. I am so ready for this match. And it should be a fantastic match. Christian Pulisic is back. Um, obviously, Chelsea, there's been some news that Chelsea don't really want him to go back because he he has just got back from injury. Um but I have to shout out my boys, my FC Dallas boys. Ricardo Je- Pepe. Jesus <laughs> Ferreira and Ricardo Pepe. Um, Ferreira has had a, a, a stellar season. He is the son of David Ferreira, former MLS MVP, a fan, a, a, a stellar young talent. Obviously, not not much more you could say about Ricardo Pepe that hasn't already been said. He should be uh, the number nine for these matchups. Um, but you know, also called up uh, Brendan Aronson, a player I love to watch. Tim Weah. Um, and in the midfield, Tyler Adams and Weston McKenney should should make up uh, the midfield. Uh, Buzio as well was called up, and Eunice Musa, a player I love to watch. King. And uh, in goal, you know, Stefan and Matt Turner were called up, and and Stefan, uh, by the way, just had a new contract at City, I believe, yes. for the next few seasons, which mm-hmm. also was really cool to see. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he will be there now as well. This team, I just I love watching them. They are just fun to watch. And I believe, Arjun, our last match against the Mexican side, uh, I believe we, we won that match, if I'm not mistaken. Our, our last two in the, CONCACAF, in the CONCACAF Nations League final and in the Gold Cup final, the U.S. came out with wins after extra time. So um, tensions were high in both of those games. And I expect it to be high for this, too, because the the current position in the qualifiers is Mexico tops the tops the group. Um, with 14 points from six matches played, and the U.S. have 11 points from six matches played. So this is pivotal. This is a huge match um, in in World Cup qualifying. And the second match that the U.S. will have uh, this week in the um, World Cup qualifiers is against Jamaica. Jamaica currently sit uh, in six. They've only got five points from six matches, so that I mean, that's not a match the U.S. should lose. That is a should win, but also we said it years ago about matches we should have won, and we yep. didn't. So, who knows? And, you know, the U.S. Um, last time out lost to Panama um, in Panama, so that, you know, I mean, Greg Berhalter, the, the conversation has been there. Um, is he the right guy? I think it's. I think the answer is still no. He's making the right call ups. Uh, I think it's really good that the U.S. are getting guys from Europe. Um, obviously, there are MLS players in there. You know, guys from FC Dallas. You know, Walker Zimmerman of Nashville. But Walker Zimmerman is one of the best defenders in the MLS. Jesus Ferrer and Ricardo Pepe are two of the most talented players. The FC Dallas Academy. Yeah, he's making the right call ups, but that's because there's no other call ups to make us out of them. Like you have to call them up. Yeah, and and Ferrer and Pepe, obviously, the FC Dallas Academy. I think has like six players on this lineup. Reggie Cannon is one of them. Chris Richards uh, was an FC Dallas uh, Academy product. Acosta wasn't in the Academy, but he used to play for FC Dallas. McKenney was in the Academy, and obviously Ferreira and Pepe. So, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm from Dallas. I, I go to FC Dallas games. I live 10 minutes from the stadium. So, I mean, the that academy is something we haven't talked about on this podcast but it's they're producing i'm i'm extremely proud of what you know north texas soccer has to offer um and and the fact that you know there's there's five guys from the us from from fc dallas academy uh consistently making it to call ups um is a source of pride um and the fact that you know these guys are all getting exported to Europe as well to play higher level soccer. Say Pepe, there's rumors of him going to Europe that he wants yes. a move. Yes, it's and, and kind of I mean, known. Pepe has probably played his last game for FC Dallas, but I'm fine with it because he's got such a bright future. Um, he's a guy that loves FC Dallas. He's been with the academy, a Texas guy. He's from El Paso, um, so wherever he goes, we'll be watching him because I think he is the next big thing. I think wherever yeah. he goes. I think he can turn into a world-class striker. He can, and we will have to watch that match. Um, give me a prediction for the the, the U.S. Mexico match. We don't, normally don't predict uh, international matches. Uh, give me your prediction. I'm rocking with a two-one U.S. victory. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling lucky. Feeling uh, good. I, I think I think that Cincinnati crowd is going to bring it, um, but I'm going to say one-one. One-one. Uh, I would love it to be dos acero. Oh, it'd be beautiful. Dos acero. I'll pronounce it correctly, but. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say 1-1. I think it's going to be contentious. It's going to be fiery, as U.S.-Mexico always is. Um, But I'm really looking forward to it. I am as well. And that will do it for our one-year anniversary episode of the Going Going Winner podcast, episode 53, part two. Check out episode 53, part one, for our discussion about the Saints and all things NFL. 
Arjun, one year of the podcast and the books, a lot more to go. Our special will be out at some point in the near future. You'll have to wait and listen to that one. Find us on Twitter at ggoonerpod. Where we will discuss all things Arsenal, U.S. men's national team highlights, you know, the works on there. Uh, for myself, from Arjun, that will do it for the one-year episode 53, part two. We will see you all later.